Hi, welcome to PMQ Learning Outcome 2. And in this session, we're going to have a look at understanding project life cycles. We're going to take a look at the different types of life cycles, the reasons why we have life cycles. We're going to look at the different types of reviews that we have through the life cycle. And we're going to have a look at why projects may close early. So first of all, then, question is, what is a life cycle? And the APM um, say that a life cycle is a framework. It's a framework comprising of a series of distinct phases and stages that take an idea, a need, right the way through to an output. So we turn a concept into reality in an ordered, structured way. It's a, think of it as a journey, a journey. Um, having a life cycle, with these various phases and the decision points that run through it, support governance, or if you like, con management control. It means that things are done properly, in order, and uh, consistently across the organisation. There are different types of life cycles, so we're going to see uh, the extended life cycle, the product life cycle, but we're also going to take a look at the linear life cycle, more traditional, the iterative life cycle, which People talk about agile, so we would term that as an iterative life cycle, and then a sort of hybrid of the two, the, the hybrid life cycle. So let's first of all look at the more traditional life cycle, used for projects that are fairly stable in terms of their requirements. Um, and this is a, a life cycle that takes you through a number of phases, typically here the concept phase, or if you like, the starting up phase, the definition phase, which we could retitle if we wanted to, the planning phase, the deployment phase, which delivery or implementation, and then we've got the transition, which would include the uh, handover of the product, the closing of the project, um, a transitioning from the temporary project into business as usual or operations. And then there's the benefits realization phase of the life cycle. So this is where the project is over and the product is now being used for the purpose in which it was intended. Sometimes this is called the waterfall method, but this is the linear life cycle. Why are projects broken down? What is the rationale? Why, why, why would we go to all that trouble to create a framework? And we've already said that it provides, uh, it's a support to governance, a key element of governance. And one of the aspects of that is that as we go through the life cycle, we have a series of go, no go decision points, control points. These are called gates normally. And these will be between the main phases and sometimes between the, 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 the sub-phases or the stages, if you like. And these are key decision points that ensure that only viable projects continue. And we don't suck up resources on projects that perhaps should be halted or realigned or, or reconsidered. Having a life cycle also is the basis for project management methodologies. And it provides a consistent approach. So every project in the organisation follows the same life cycle, which, of course, then that leads on to make it easier to manage because people know what they're meant to be doing. They can see what inputs and outputs there are, what activities need to take place. So it provides the framework for consistency. People can be trained in their use. People can move between projects. Senior management can look at the <coughs> overall portfolio or the programme of projects 
and they can see that all the projects are proceeding using the same framework, which makes it easier to compare and contrast and monitor. Before we start looking at the different types of project lifecycle, we just need to consider the extended project lifecycle and the product lifecycle. So the extended lifecycle includes the project lifecycle, creating the product and handing it over, but also the period of time over which the uh, benefits are realized. The product lifecycle goes beyond that and includes termination. So for example, if we built um, a new nuclear power station, there will be the project lifecycle to build the power station, hand it over to operations. We would then use that nuclear power station for many, many years to generate electricity and give a return on the invest to the investors. But then there would be a period at which the it is decommissioned, turned back into a brown or even a greenfield site. Now, the reason we would consider the product lifecycle, of course, is when we're writing the business case, when we're scoping the project, we would certainly need to consider the implications of that. Before you leave the subject of lifecycle, do make sure that you have a look at the individual phases of the project lifecycle and you understand in detail what happens in each, especially if you're studying for an exam. Uh, the Provec book will give you much more detail on the inputs and outputs uh, of each phase, the activities that take place, and the roles and responsibilities of those involved in those phases. So do take a look at that in a bit more detail than we're able to cover on the slides. Considering the product lifecycle, this bigger picture, vitally important from the perspective of investing. So if I just consider the capital cost of a project, that's one thing. A bit like buying a car, isn't it? The, the car was cheap to buy. But of course, what about the running costs? What about the cost of ownership? If I buy a car that is cheap to buy, but I can't afford to run it because it uses so much fuel or, or the maintenance is so high, uh, that, that's not really a complete picture when I'm thinking about investing. So when I'm writing my business case, I should be thinking about cost of ownership. And that includes, of course, the cost of demolition or recycling or, or whatever we have to do at the end of that. Um, it also, of course, informs our scoping of the project. So when I'm starting to scope out the solution, it may be that we include features in the final product that may cost us money, but they will save us an awful lot of money during the life of the project. So we should never forget the overall product life cycle when we're planning a project. Let's take a look at a brief look at the iterative life cycle. So we saw that the linear life cycle was just a, a single pass through each of the phases. The iterative life cycle says, look, life is less certain and stable. So we're not building a skyscraper or an aircraft carrier. We're developing some new product. And what we need is a constant feedback loop. So we're informing the development of the product. We for sure start off with a, a set of high level requirements but more detailed requirements and our detailed development of the solution is getting a constant update from usage. So an example here would be where we prototype something, maybe some software or, or a machine or a, 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 a consumer product, and we get somebody to test it and start to use it. And they realize that there's features that work well, features that perhaps don't work so well, and they're constantly feeding it back to the designers and developers who are constantly going through these phases on an iterative basis, constantly getting feedback here. And this is 
really used for emerging, revolving solutions. Um, the term agile is often used here. So the iterative life cycle. We've already said that prototyping is, is, a, is a great example where we get this rapid feedback from the user community, the stakeholder community here, so that we get the best solution emerging. Um, normally, you'd have somebody called a product owner who would look after the product and ensure that this feedback is taking place and liaise with the developers. I mean, in fact, what we could say is that the agile or the iterative approach does require a shift in thinking and cultural. So if we're used to the linear life cycle, we have one way of working, but the agile way requires a much more collaborative approach. So there's this feedback set up, these open conversations, this rapid um, uh, feedback loop, which of course requires the availability of the users and the developers to be there constantly doing this. This is not something you send off um, for a review and then three months later it comes back. So it does require a different team structure and a different way of thinking, different cultural um, sort of context for the project here. Um, the other thing we could say about this, um, and there's lots more in, in the Provec book, so do please have a look at that. We could also say that uh, this iterative um, agile approach also takes a different view to the, what we could call the triangle, the, the time, the cost, the quality triangle. So whereas a, a traditional project, um, we sort of fix the scope and then the project takes as long as it takes and costs as much as it costs, often overrunning, what this method does is employs something called time boxing. So it fixes the time and it says, look, we will, we will develop as many and deliver as many of the requirements as we can. We, we, we've, we've ranked them. So we've got the ones that offer us the most value down to the ones that offer us the least value. And we will work our way through them and deliver a solution up to the point in time. So what we're effectively doing is fixing time. We're sort of turning that triangle upside down, if you like. We're fixing time and adjusting scope or quality. So a very, very different way of thinking. But as we said, suitable for some projects and not others. Which brings us on to the hybrid life cycle. So this, as you might kind of have deducted already, is a combination of the both. So this is a linear life cycle as we talked about before, where perhaps one of the phases, we employ an iterative element. So you can imagine going through a project here where we're working our way through the project, but we're developing, let's say, the software solutions. And within that part of the solution, we employ the iterative element. So it's a blend of the two. It's a mix, really, there. It could be a very strong, uh, linear one, or it could be much more weighted towards the um, agile approach there. But it's a hybrid solution here and, and bespoke to particular projects. Important now um, to compare and contrast these. So do take a look in the, in the Provec book to see the side-by-side the, the -side differences between these. I mean, just give you one here, um, take requirements. The linear life cycle needs a full set of requirements fixed up front before we can start developing the solution. Whereas the uh, iterative approach, the solution starts to emerge as a constant feedback loop. So we don't need all the requirements fixed and firm up front. There's an, a, an emerging element to this, an evolving element based on that feedback. 
So let's take a look at what happens through the life cycle. Um, typically here, we're going back or leaning backwards towards the linear life cycle, but the reviews, of course, in, in, in all the life cycles. So we've, we've looked already at the gates, these decision points that support governance. This is where we decide whether the project should continue or not based on its performance to date and the plans looking forward and whether the project is still viable and is likely to give us a return on our investment. And this is a decision that we made by the sponsor and or senior management. Key governance point here. Post-project reviews, we could typically call those end-of-project reviews. This is a review that takes place at the end of the project and looks objectively at the performance at the point where we hand over the product. So did we complete it on time, budget, um, and to quality? Did we deliver the scope? Were the risks under control? Um, but we also use this as an opportunity to learn lessons as well. How did it go? What can we capture that we can feed back into the organization that future projects can learn from? Benefits reviews, these are the ones that would normally, for the majority of projects, take place after transition. Now, it is true that some projects will deliver some benefits during the life of the project itself. So if we're introducing a, a major change, we may have some early wins, which we hand over during the project. So we may want to uh, review those. But typically for many, many projects, we hand over the product and then the benefits are realized. So these are reviews that take place maybe every three months, six months, once a year, depending on what it is. So if you had launched a new motor car on the market, you would be looking at sales, you'd be looking at customer feedback, and then you might be adjusting your product to gain the maximum advantage. So you'd be fixing any problems and you'd be looking for future opportunities. Um, it is the, account, the, the sponsor is accountable for the realization of benefits. So it's important that during the project that these benefits realization plans are put in place. And these would include when we hold the reviews, who would be involved, what data we collect and, and so forth. So they need to be planned. We don't just want to, as it were, throw the product over the wall so that the users catch it and nobody bothers to see whether we realized any benefits. That would just be, you know, defy the whole purpose of having a business case and investing for a return on our investment. And then finally, we come to audits. Now, you may have been on the receiving end of an audit, sometimes not that comfortable. But what is an audit? A couple of key things about an audit. An audit is independent of the thing that is auditing. So somebody from outside the project, so typically the quality manager may come and do a quality audit. There may be a health and safety audit on the project by somebody independent, not associated or tied up with the, the productivity or the aims of the project. Uh, audits, of course, can be taken from people outside of the organization. So, you know, BSI, ISO standards, all these would be audited. And what they do is they demonstrate that there is evidence. They look for evidence to help and give confidence to the stakeholders that we are following the processes we set out to set out to, 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 to achieve. So this is not about deciding whether the project's going well although an audit typically could do that, is more about the process of delivery. Are we doing what the standards and the procedures say we should do? And of course, audits also give us the opportunity to improve our performance. So the feedback allows us to perhaps put better training in place, 
um, better processes in place, um, gain more skills and so on. So audits are absolutely vital and would normally be scheduled through the life of the project. They're part of quality assurance. Projects sometimes close early and they do that for a number of reasons. Uh, we're not going to go through all of those reasons, but you may be familiar with some projects in your area that have closed early. So this could be where the project just becomes not viable anymore. Uh, the costs have risen, the outlook for benefits have gone away, the, the landscape, the context has changed. Um, there's no longer a need for the product. Maybe a competitor has come along with new and better technology, which means that what you're producing is just really now out of date and we, we, we shouldn't proceed with it. It could be that a, a change request has come in. We have to change it and we can't afford it. So maybe we cancel the project. Maybe some external factor, an earthquake, uh, a pandemic uh, has come along and suddenly the project is just, we just can't do it. We haven't got the resources and we haven't got the skills anymore. We haven't got the time and we really need to put that project to bed. So there is a time, a proper time when a project should be uh, terminated. That could be identified in the gates or at any point in the project through the regular reviews. But it's an important one to remember.